You are listening to Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5 KCZWLP Conroe and 106.1 KZCCLP Conroe and worldwide on IRLoneStar.com. I want to thank our sponsor, Planet Ford. Planet Ford has always been a proud supporter of law enforcement in the community, providing customer service and fleet management, sales, and service. If you're looking for that personal quality service, contact Planet Ford in spring or online at planetford.com. You're listening to Crime Scene Today. I'm your host, Dan Zentek. We discuss current and future law enforcement, forensic, and crime scene investigation issues going on. Today joining me, we have Deputy Michael Fulton and Sergeant Ken Washington from uh, Montgomery County, Constable Precinct 3. So I invited them on to discuss, as we always do, some current topics happening in the news and such, but specifically from the ranks that they hold. Uh, yesterday, I actually got the opportunity. I was on uh, the daily show here. It's uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, uh, Dick and Skippy in the mornings, and uh, they had me on to discuss some of the uh, police issues, and you can certainly tune into them on our Lone Star Radio, and they have that broadcast if you have interest in hearing that and uh, any other future uh, broadcast they have, just a good conversation that they have, some gay- chemistry together. The reason I brought in uh, Ken and Michael is because of the level and position that they hold. I hold an administrative level, and Ken is a sergeant, which is our first-line supervisor. If anything's going on on the street, he's the one that's going to be handling it, recognizing it, and uh, bringing those problems to admin if if he's not addressing them himself. And then uh, Deputy Fulton is uh, the man on the street. He's the one who's actually going to the house. He's responding. He's uh, dealing with the public on a regular basis. And most interactions with the public, the most common interaction is going to be a traffic stop. Hopefully that's probably the only interaction that you have with police during your lifetime. But if it's not, it's going to be Deputy Fulton and um, men just like him, women just like him going to the scenes. And they're the boots on the ground that actually tell us the environment and what's happening out there and, and what the public is uh, doing and how interactions are going and those type of things. So... We have a lot of things in place in our department and the surrounding communities to work with the public, but pulling from the headlines, obviously, uh, that's not always the case uh, around the country, and we've seen that, and obviously has been brought to light by uh, protests and other things like that. So we're just going to discuss some of the outcomes of that, and to um, recap uh, from yesterday's show a little bit, you know, uh, one of the biggest questions I think we get asked as far as police, as far as these protests and things, you know, there are certain people that go to the protest um, that are violent, that, uh, you know, will steal things. That's not what the protest is about. They're going there for that purpose. They're, they're just uh, people that uh, want to cause that type of turmoil to begin with. Uh, the people that are going there because they feel that there's a narrative that they want to bring attention to, that they feel that there's a conversation that needs to be had uh, what we're trying to get to is uh, how to have that conversation and, and what is important that needs to be addressed. Uh, so uh, to bring that to light and to have those conversations and what uh, they feel need to happen. Now, some things that have been thrown out there, and I'm sure that uh, y'all have heard some of these terms, the, the defund the police, right? Okay. Now, 
one of the uh, initially, you know, people will think, okay, well, that means uh, fire all the police, uh, get rid of police. Uh, but actually, in looking deeper into it, uh, what the subject actually is, and I think that uh, uh, Dallas Police Chief during the uh, shootings uh, that killed five officers uh, actually said it best, is that we're asking the police to do too much that we are mental health officers, we are animal control, we are psychological officers, we, uh, anything that you need, because the police are out there, we're being tasked to do it. And so many are questioning, should we get back to policing? Is there a, a, a core foundation of what the police can do that no one else can do, and that's what they should be doing? And if that's the case, then obviously there's other programs, meaning that there's programs that don't exist. Uh, an example, even here in Montgomery County, we have Precinct 1 Constable's Office that responds to mental health. Uh, there's only a couple of officers that do so. Uh, if you were to grow that division or add those type of officers, that would require funding. So uh, when they say defund police, it's looking to grow those programs in some way and pull it from other areas. I'm not sure that's a solution because uh, when we look at our budget, uh, as we look at it, it's not so much that because we respond to certain things is what's costing money. Uh, it's just taking up our time in those areas. I know when I was uh, doing EMS work and something that changed along the way, when I was in EMS, if you had a diabetic that was combative or you had an overdose that was combative, as a medic, you just went. Uh, it wasn't police going there, you, you took care of it. Now, if it got out of hand, certainly that's who we were calling as the police. But even now, uh, and again, it changed uh, probably in the 90s, that EMS and fire were waiting. And uh, we've heard on the radio many times, uh, is the scene secure? Well, which meant the police were going to wait till they got there, secure the scene, and then EMS and fire coming in. So as far as uh, opinions on this, um, I mean, what are some type of calls? I mean, what are some things? I mean, it seems that we're always tasked with it because we're out there, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's that's the the common, I, I say problem, but it's, you know, when something needs to be addressed, well, the officer's driving by, he's already out there, no one's having to respond. And so the, I guess the issue that I see is all these sound like, some great ideas to focus some better resources on uh, truancy, on child uh, abuse prevention, on adult abuse prevention, mental health, and all that. But at what point are police going to have the authority that when you call and say, I need the police for this, we say no, because that's not our job, right? So I don't know if we're going to get to that point under this whole idea. Um, so now, on the sergeant level, Ken, I mean, obviously, uh, some things that, that you're seeing out there, some things that your guys are dealing with or whatever, you know, um, what do you feel are some things that, that um, I, I guess are affecting us? We don't really see the problems down here. Um, first, thank you for having us on the show today, uh, Captain Z. Um, the, the deputies on the street are, are extremely busy, especially here in the last couple of years. I think I've been up here for almost seven years after I transferred in from Austin and worked for a previous agency. Uh, seen a lot of activity, you know, when you're responding to calls and, and you know, 
the, the biggest thing you teach deputies is, is to be patient because people don't understand you may not be a subject matter expert in specific things, but you try to address it the best you can. You know, we just went through a round of, of uh, burglary of vehicles and thefts uh, at some of the local neighborhoods and businesses, so that was an issue. Uh, and then how you respond, sometimes people feel you took too long, you're not answering their questions in a timely manner and so on. And the, guy, the guys are actually doing the best they can, but they're being over-indated sometimes. And, and then when you throw into other factors, the deputies become stressed out. Uh, and it's some of the things you see in some of the other uh, local municipalities or counties. So as far as being a supervisor, you do the best you can as far as arriving on those scenes and addressing the general public's concerns um, and, and, and the best you can stand on top of it. Um, but, of, of course, you know, like anyone else, is that uh, as we increase the number of persons in any set area, you know, you're going to have crime to increase also. Uh, and if you don't increase the number of officers at the same time to address those concerns, it can become problematic at times. You know, the, um, so the International Association Chief of Police um, head made a comment. It was in the Washington Post uh, actually yesterday. And it said, law enforcement's the only profession where you get rocks, bricks, Molotov cocktails thrown at you merely because you're in the same chosen profession as someone else who did something horribly wrong thousands of miles away. You know, we are seeing the protest around the country uh, in reference to uh, the incident with George Floyd, which I have yet to hear any officer yet dismiss what happened think that anything that happened was done properly, that didn't need to be uh, charged as a crime. Uh, but again, it comes back to um, a broad brush again of, as we said, what's happening in New York. At, at no point would we say that we police here as they do in New York, as they do in LA, as they do in Chicago. Um, there are different environments and different situations that are going on in those communities that have to be handled a, a different way. And so to say that law enforcement as a whole, as a all law enforcement, uh, has this systemic issue that needs to be addressed the same way across the board, I think uh, can lead to some problems and also can lead to some time, energy, and resources that possibly could be diverted to other areas. Now, so they've, one thing that came up, Young, give me your opinion, and, and uh, you know, Michael, you're a street officer. It, it comes out, they're talking about uh, saying no, no one can have chokeholds anymore. Okay, that's a, a big topic in there right now. Uh, as far as, you know, chokeholds are concerned to begin with, it's not a common practice, right? I mean, we don't, we don't just walk up behind somebody, grab them, and this is the first thing we go to. Um, unless things have changed, and y'all have been more to the academy recently than I have, uh, the chokehold was the same as basically deadly force. Mm -hmm. So if the choice is I, I use my gun or I choke them, that's what we need to realize when they're saying, okay, well, don't choke them anymore. So what, we just go straight to using the gun, right? I mean, what's your thoughts, Mike? I mean, when, my, when you hear we can't do something anymore. My thoughts is, is it's, it's simple. Um, I mean, when I'm out on the streets and we have, we're dealing with somebody and we have to use some type of force, um, a chokehold, that's not going to be the first thing that we, well, I go to first. Uh, we are luckily, lucky to have other 
forms of non-lethal. We have the taser. We have the pepper spray. We have the baton. And then we also have our hands. Now, I went to the academy four and a half years ago. And in the academy, I should remember they told us the chokehold, that should be the last thing you go to. And they teach you the arm bar. They teach you to uh, subdue with multiple officers. Then that's when they teach you how to go to the taser, the pepper spray. Now, I don't think the chokehold should strictly be banned, but I think if officers and agencies are, are going to use the chokehold, I, in my opinion, think that officers should be properly trained on it to know sure. when to use it and then when to stop using it. And then if the officers are out there in a situation where an officer is using a chokehold, the other officers around that's either standing or trying to get this guy detained should be able to be trained and looked and say, hey, stop, the, the, cho- that, the chokehold is, is no longer. Well, ju- you know, I think that's one of the big issues with, um, you know, with the Floyd case mm-hmm. is one of the biggest things we've heard is the time, right? It's, it's the fact of how long uh, this went on. Okay. And when there was no more resistance, and that's why I, I don't care how long you've been trained mm-hmm. is, once there's no longer any resistance, you know, you stop force, restrain them, and, and shut it down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems to be one of the biggest arguments or concerns, I guess I should say, in this. You know, so again, it's, it's sort of back to it. I, I'm, I'm with you as far as removing uh, a technique based on. I don't know what it's based on. I, mm-hmm. I, my understanding is, I guess, in that city, they looked at it and said it was being used a lot. Uh, again, that sort of addressed that in that city, right? I'm not, <clears throat> I think first you have to define, first of all, what they mean by chokehold. Because you, you, know, you watch different scenarios or different videos between, you know, look at the incident that happened a few years ago with the, with the individual who was, who was choked by officers, I guess they said, because he was uh, not complying with their commands. And then, of course, the individual um, um, who had the knee on his neck, you have to kind of define what it is. And then training techniques, of course, always have to be addressed. And, and that's why a lot of times when these type of use of force issues occur, when, especially when it's a death in custody, it's not a simple answer a lot of time because you have to pretty much do conduct what we call you know those investigations to find out you know what were the situation, what were the scenarios, and we're in a society today where people want answers right away and immediately, and a lot of times they're not that easy to address right away. Uh, so that's why it takes a little time, and, and and a lot of times a lot of agencies, uh, for instance, the three I've worked for, you take those investigations away from that and that agency if it becomes a, a big deal, especially if there's a death involved. And an outside agency comes in to give uh, some fresh eyes and independent investigation on that to address it, because now they're addressing if there was a violation of law as well as a violation of policy. Uh, and then, of course, the situation itself. So there's usually a lot more to it. So I think that's the first thing you have to address, especially in today's environment. Well, and I think that you know there's, there's a balance between the two. We've talked about transparency, right? That's a word we've heard in recent years. And, and the idea behind it's great. The idea behind it is that uh, we show them all the cards, we're not hiding anything and whatnot, and I think that's certainly their interpretation of it. The problem comes on the legal side when we rush too quickly uh, and file charges or release video that later we'd like to use in court, and we need to find a jury that's never seen this before, uh, trying to find people that when they walk in don't have some type of preconceived notion as to this because... um, I mean, let's face it, let's, let's talk about the, the very obvious one right now. 
Um, where are you going to find a jury anywhere that has not seen the video of George Floyd? Right. I mean, I'm sure they're somewhere, mm-hmm. but I mean, how far do you have to move that venue? Right. And again, it's the balance. You have your citizens who you're responsible to uh, hollering and screaming. We want something done, you know, and it's that balance between them not understanding the end result of what has to happen in the legal process. Uh, so, again, it's, it's that uh, balance between the two that, you know, you talk about. Um, you know, so now, you know, Mike, you've been doing this five years now, four mm-hmm. and a half four years half. now. So, obviously, getting into police work when you got in is much different than when I got in, okay? Um, so, speaking from more of a younger deputy, so many people are questioning right now, why get into law enforcement, right? We're having trouble recruiting people, mm-hmm. okay? It's, it's uh, I won't say it's not a desirable job, but I think many people look at it as now a job, right? It's just, I can do this or I can do that, uh, whereas before it nearly was like a calling to do something. So what do you see sort of from your age group and otherwise of getting into law enforcement at that time? What I see now is because I'm 31 years old, still consider myself young. Right. But what you I see, are. go ahead. <laughs> what, what I see now is people that's my age and a little bit younger. They're getting into it because this is what they wanted to do since they were little, like myself. I mean, I haven't really found anyone that woke up one day and says, "Hey, I want to be a police officer, so I'm gonna go through the academy." Um, so, but now, especially within the last, I guess, two years, I'm starting to see younger officers get out of it because of the hatred that law enforcement is seeing or the they're losing friends or family members because they wore the badge and a gun on their hip every day. Um, the guy, the My friends that I've talked to that are law enforcement across the country saying, well, yeah, it's hard, um, but I like to do it because this is what I wanted to do since I've been seven years old, just right. like myself. I've been didn't want to be a police officer since I was five years old. And I get the question all the time, well, why are you a police officer? This is what I want to do. I've always wanted to be a police officer. Everything that I've done up until now is my goal is to be a police officer. Um, But it's more of something now at this age where it's something that you want to do. You want to make a change. You want to build that bridge between law enforcement and uh, the community. So nowadays it's more like something where you have to want to be in it. You can't just be in it just to collect the paycheck. Right. You can't be in it to just be tell your friends, hey, I have a badge and I drive a police car and I run lights and sirens because there's more to that now. Um, it's something where if you have to get up every day and regret putting on this uniform, then you, sh- it's, you shouldn't do it sure. uh, because you're already coming to work regretting what you have to do. And it's and I tell people all the time, I don't I never regret coming to work. I love being at work. I love being a police officer. So it's now that that's the things that you have to look at before you become a police officer. I've met guys in the past from my previous agency that just wanted to do it just because. Because it's a paycheck. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a paycheck and just see how it is. And they get into it and they're like, whoa. Yeah, there's a lot, yeah, lot more than that paycheck. Yeah, and go work somewhere yeah, else for, for exactly. more money. And then nowadays we, we have social media, we have TV, and everybody sees – Shows like Live PD and cops like, oh, that's fun. And I tell people all the time, 
that is only 10% of what we do. We have paperwork, we have all types of stuff that we have to do. So the younger generation now is, is thinking about, like I said, they're looking at it as, okay, well, do I really want to do this or should I just go watch Live PD? See, now, did you realize, I just saw this yesterday, Cops, longest running show, was canceled yesterday. Yes. Live PD was yesterday. Cops was the day before. They okay, canceled so, both of them in two days. So, yeah. so they are canceled. They're they're done. Okay, so that's that's uh, one of the things. So, uh, so they can't do that anymore. If you if you want to see it, you, you got to come join the yeah. force, right? So, and this may be more a personal question. So, have you lost friends over being a cop? I've, yeah, I've lost friends. I've, yeah. I've I've lost friends from the four and a half years that I've been doing this because all of my, I guess I could say, true friends. Right, right. That's known me since high school has known I always want to be a police officer. But I've lost friends just because I have a badge and a gun now. I've lost, I've met people since I've been a cop. And since the recent events, they don't want anything to do with me. Because, like you said earlier, we're, as law enforcement, being associated with something that's happened thousands of miles away. And everybody, one, had a couple people was like, oh, well, you're pro- part of the problem. I don't want to do be. I don't want to deal with that problem. So I don't want to deal with you. It's okay. So yes, I've lost friends. Um, my family. My family is very supportive. So I haven't really lost any family. Uh, I've actually have more family reach out to me and say, "Hey, are you okay? How are you dealing with all this, especially sure. with COVID nineteen and uh, what's going on now?" So yeah, I've, I've probably lost a handful of friends. You know, and I, I think it goes back to, um, I think one of the big problems that when you see in the protests, you see just in general, is uh, we're seen as an occupation. You're not seen as a person, mm-hmm. okay? You know, there, there's a person behind that badge that has a family that has, you know, uh, kids and parents and, and just like anybody else, um, but because of what you chose to do, and I don't know any other profession that's like that. I mean, I don't know anybody uh, hating because someone, you know, became a plumber mm-hmm. or because of electrician or dentist or, or bagging grocery, what, whatever it is that you've decided. It is specific to, you know, maybe attorneys, but I mean, it's specific <laughs> to, to that particular occupation. And that's the part, I guess, and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe you have a better, I can't wrap my head around it. I can't wrap my head around and I think you hit it on, on the head when you said who my true friends are, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who truly knows me as a person knows me, you know, uh, and my identity was never what I do, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, because, I mean, to take it sort of to the extreme level, I mean, would they hate you if you worked at Computer Corporation? I mean, at what, I mean what job do I have to have for you to like me? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's sort of crazy. But, I mean, so... I mean, what are what are your thoughts as far as I guess, I guess the why? I mean, have you come up with a why? I haven't. I I ask myself that question almost every day. Why my long, my career being singled out, but you have other careers that are doing stuff. You have heart surgeons that can potentially mess up and kill a, somebody's family member, but all the heart surgeons are not hate it. I mean, it's just, I don't, I don't know why we're hated because of what somebody else has did, somebody else's poor decisions. So that why, no, and I get that question all the time out on the streets with my family, with my true friends on 
why are you guys hated so much? And I say, well, we're hated because what I believe is what other officers are doing. And like you said, it's we're a, a human behind the badge. And I've experienced that within the last probably two weeks being on the streets uh, where I've pulled over cars and they're not looking at me as a person. They're looking at my badge. They're looking at my patrol car. So they're looking at me as a police officer and, and as not as a person. And I have to take the time out and explain to them that, hey, all officers are not bad. I've, I had a guy, took a guy to jail last weekend. And he, when, I, when we were pulling into the jail, he thanked me. He was like, hey, officer, thank you. And like, for what? It's like, for not being like the rest of them. Like, what do you mean like the rest of them? He's like, you weren't mean to me. You, you weren't cursing me out and you weren't yelling at me. And I said, look, man, I'm like, there's no reason for that. It's like, I treat everybody with respect. And I said, so does my fellow coworkers. Like, what you see on TV, that's not law enforcement. Right. And he was like, well, now, he was like, I see that. And it's, it's, there's no reason for me to yell at you, curse at you, throw you around. If you're being compliant, you're listening. And we, and I told him, I was like, we have, we have a job to do. We're not going to lose our job for cursing you out and throwing you around for no apparent reason. And, and he said he finally, he said the entire way to the jail, he was thinking about that, saying, well, wow, every officer on that scene treated me with respect, even though I broke the law. And I said, yes. And, and that's it. It's, I mean, it's, I think what all this boils down to, you know, people want to feel secure. They want mm-hmm. to feel safe in their house. They want to feel safe getting around. They they want the police. Mm-hmm. I mean, they want the idea that someone's out there to protect them. That's that's not gone away, right? Mm-hmm. But I do think that some of the um, some of the issues that do happen places, not dismissing that they don't happen, and not dismissing that there's not some bad officers out there treating people, uh, you know, unprofessional and like crap, to be honest. But a majority of what I've seen, and certainly same thing. I took many people to jail over years from everything from capital murder, mm-hmm. you know, all the way down to a traffic warrant. And every single one was respecting them. And, and many times I was thanked dropping them off. Uh, again, it just because you treat them like a human being. But that honestly, from what I've seen, is more the norm mm-hmm. than the exception. You know, now what you see on the quick video records at times is the heat of the moment, right? You see the person who's pulled away that's fighting, you know, and, yeah, some cuss words are exchanged while you're, you know, tackling them to the mm-hmm. ground or whatever because your adrenaline's through the roof. And that's another thing is watching a video of an officer that is fighting, of a suspect that's fighting. I mean, their adrenaline is a different level. Their emotions are a different level, and, and you're watching it calmly, mm-hmm. right? Um, and judging based on that. And I think that's one of the biggest, uh, I guess, complaints that I hear that is, I guess, harder to swallow is, well, why couldn't you have just done this? Or why couldn't you have just done that? Why did you have to be rude to him? Why did you have to say the cuss words, you know, after you what, chased him for a half a block and he'd been beating on your butt beforehand and everything and, and you called him a name while you were putting him in? Well, that was just, that was just unprofessional. Yeah. You know, and, so. <laughs> and I look at, oh, go ahead. I was about to say, I think, I mean, I've been in law enforcement a long, little longer than Deputy Fulton and, and seen some things and experienced some things. I'm sure he may be able to relate, but there was this term I remember hearing, I've even heard it here in the last couple of weeks, is blue versus black, meaning that 
they're not looking at you as a person. They're saying either you're with the black community or you're with the with law enforcement. Right. And I'm baffled by this because you have to, of course, you initiating conversation. And like, oh, you know, you've heard this term before. Well, why are you, you always taking black people to jail? I'm like, first of all, you don't know who I've ever arrested or whoever detained, so there's no way for you to address that. And it's one of those things I've heard from, from not recently, but I've heard from other black officers uh, who work in law enforcement across the country, and they're, they're dealing with this term. And, of course, we're having an issue with trying to recruit and say, well, how come you don't have more officers? Well, we can't recruit officers that won't apply. Right. You no, know, if they don't apply, then you don't have them, and you don't have them working in those communities. So well, we have you know, a number of white officers working in this community. Well, there are no officers to put in that community. That's where they're assigned, so they have no say-so in that. So you're, you're working this, this line of, of community relations and, and, and guys learning how to deal with the community and so on, and you don't know anything about their background. They're just out there to do a job and do it the best they can, as most professionally as they possibly can. So well, I just remember hearing that term. Well, and, and we have. We've heard a couple of terms that I think uh, are thrown around. And to touch on a couple of things you said, and I've been asked, same, you know, you know that we will do the social media, we'll put out arrests, we'll put out mm-hmm. uh, one that really caught me. I think it really, just really sticks to the subject is uh, we got a message because we there's a robbery. There's an aggravated robbery. There's a black male that robbed the store, and we put out a picture saying, hey, is, does anybody know this person, right? Typical flyer that goes out. And we got a response that said, why aren't you showing uh, the white robber? Okay, well, in this particular instance, it was a black male. You know, uh, we, we're not going to go and search for white males that were not on video in, in the store. You know, and, and in this particular case, it wasn't more than one person. It was just the black male that was in there. But, again, it's that perceived notion that – and I know what they were getting at. They were basically saying, okay, numerous robberies occurred last night. And you've only picked this one that had a black male. Well, no, there was just one robbery. You know, if we had others, we'd be showing you those too. Um, but then back to the recruiting aspect, you know, and uh, maybe you can give insight. So, uh, and it's probably back to sort of what you talked about of people not want to be here. What, what would you say stops more uh black males and females from applying for police? I will say the image and a perception that they're going to receive once they put this badge on is because I've been called all types of names <laughs> from black people. I, I mean, I've just, just because I have a uniform on. And I just think the reason why black males and black females does, does not want to come apply and go through the police academy and become a police officer is because of perception. They're thinking, well, what is my family going to say? What is my friends going to say? What is my significant other going to say? What is my Instagram followers or Facebook followers are going to say? So uh, unlike, um, uh, let's say, uh, unlike, you know, uh, white officers that may be congratulated mm-hmm. for going into the field, it's another hurdle uh, to come over in the black community that, mm-hmm. that basically says you're going to, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, upset some people and, and distance yourself from some people. Mm-hmm. So so how do you get to recruiting? How do you sort of get over that, I guess? How do you, how do you change that perception? I mean, obviously that's sort of the conversation, yeah. right? Yeah, and I think to overcome that is I, I think that's when, and I believe it was touched on earlier, is – we have to go into these communities to where the the, the communities 
don't like police officers. So you have to go into these communities. You have to talk to these, the younger generation, and you have to explain to them the best you can that law enforcement is not bad. You have to explain to them that this job is tough, but it's rewarding at the same time. And I think once we're able to get inside these communities and get the ear of the community and talk to them and say, hey, this is what law enforcement is about, and especially as a black officer, you can you can relate to the kids. You can relate to the younger generation because if you have a white officer come in. Right, they're and, not listening to me. Let's yeah, just face it. They're yeah, not. They're, they're not going to listen. But if you have a black officer come in and they're looking and they're like, okay, well, he's saying this. You're not going to get everybody's attention. You're going to not get everybody's faith, but you can possibly grab one or two people. And I think as a black officer myself, when I pull some younger guys over and also Sergeant Washington, because I've been on scenes when he's talking to these people, if we can educate and at least get one ear, hopefully that conversation that we're having with that male or female goes a long way. Well, it's the same way that it got negative, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it was a bad experience. They got told to someone who got told to someone else. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you're right. I mean, hopefully we can get same good experience to be told, hey, I, I went to jail because mm-hmm. I did whatever. But you know what? Everybody there treated me respectful, uh, treated me right, and... You know, I have no issue with, at bare minimum, I have no issue with Deputy Fulton, mm-hmm. okay? I, I still don't like any other cop. I still, yeah. But I like Deputy Fulton, right? Yeah. You know, I don't know if that if that's the start of a conversation, right? You know, and, you know, some of the reforms that are suggested, okay, and I looked at some of them, and I honestly, I think we're doing some of them already, right? I mean, first off, the one that I, I sort of found, uh, I, I guess, a little humorous was that, Anytime we have a problem, what's the first thing we always do, right? We get training, right? Mm-hmm. You get mandatory training, we're going to have this, we're going to have that, right? Correct. Um, which requires money, okay? So if you want more training, we need more money, but you're looking to defund to move the money somewhere else and then acquire training. And coming from the administrative side, and I've seen this over and over, uh, if you want to cut a budget, you're going to lose training mm-hmm. because y'all need your cars, you need fuel. You need your uniforms. We need we need the day-to-day functioning, the one place we can cut training, right? So one of the things they talked about, and I have not looked deep enough into uh, the current uh, George Floyd case, my understanding is that there is possibly previous problems with this officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what they are. I don't know if they're founded, unfounded, what the issues were. But basically it's brought up the conversation that, what do we have in place to identify an officer who is being excessive with force or having problems, right? Now, currently at our department, we already have that. We have a software that it honestly has an algorithm in it that if a name starts appearing, we have a smaller agency, so it's pretty easy to know if we have a problem. But uh, it's the same program that's used at many agencies. We use uh, one program called Blue Team. We use another one that's called uh, IA Pro, which is Internal Affairs Pro. And, and both those have algorithms that if, if Dan Zentex starts showing up in use of force, it flags it. It's like, hey, someone needs to look at this and needs to look at this officer, which, again, at our department, it's smaller. It, you'd already know. But when you're talking about Houston Police Department, which has 8,000 officers, then those type of tools, and, and that's somewhat of what they've looked at is basically um, being able to identify these. So one suggestion 
this was both reported in uh, uh, NBC, uh, CNN, that basically um, one of the things that they've talked about is creating a national database of officers that have uh, lost their certification uh, from being fired, um, and then of course developing national standards. So I don't know, what's your thoughts? You, you for or against the fact if we if someone's lost their job that an, I'm gathering that it'd be an agency that another law enforcement agency could check. I think that the first thing that's being missed from that whole conversation is that, I mean, being someone who's worked for three different agencies from the city, county, to state, if your license is suspended anyway, you can't go to work for someone else another agency off the bat. Right, and if I, I think the other thing that it doesn't pull from is, and again, it's that going back to are you holding people accountable to begin with, right? Correct. If your hiring process is doing their job, then they should be doing a background check, mm -hmm. which means I'm calling your other agency, and your other agency is going to show me your file that says you were fired because of this. That, I believe, is where the problem lies in that that department then, they get to decide, is this reason he was fired a reason I'm not going to hire this mm -hmm. individual? If that department says no, then don't be surprised six months down the road if he does that same action he was fired for Correct. at the previous department, mm -hmm. right? Correct. So even if there's a national database, I'm with you. I'm not sure that it's going to change the hiring of some officers that maybe don't need to be on the streets anymore. And that goes to another argument of are there enough officers, right? Um, how... I want to say, you know, I mean, there's certain things, obviously, you're not hiring them, you know, because they've committed, but, I mean, there's also how picky do you get, right? And I'll use, I'll use marijuana, for example, right? You know, in the past, like when I came on in the early 90s, if you had ever smoked marijuana, you couldn't be a cop, okay? Simple as that, okay? Over the past couple of years, it was all right. Well, if you hadn't smoked it in, in you know, 10 years, if you hadn't smoked it in two years, you know, if you hadn't I mean, I think we're up to one year. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe in a little while it's going to be, did you smoke it in the car before you came in to apply, okay? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so, but that slowly as society has accepted that, that's sort of gone away. But again, that's not a use of force. That's mm -hmm. not a hurting an individual or those type of things. But so that's one of the things they've talked about. Um, you know, the the other thing they've talked about is, of course, mandatory training and and. Whenever they talk about mandatory training, I, I think about all the training we currently have, right? I mean, uh, we talk about mental health officers, but every single officer has to do 40 hours of mental health training. Why? Mm -hmm. Because we didn't have mental health officers, right? Um, every single officer, and I understand I'm speaking about Texas, right? But every single officer in Texas has to do uh, the cultural diversity. Now, is that part of the academy now, or, or do you still take that after the academy? I heard it was part of the academy now, uh, but I took it after the academy. So we have that. We have, what's the other one? It's, there's cultural diversity, and then there's, there's racial profiling. Racial profiling. I mean, any, oh, and then after uh, Sandra, Sandra Bland, Bland, we had the de-escalation. Mm -hmm. Correct. Right? So we take the training, but we're still seeing the problem, which to me sort of goes to the fact of, 
we're training many officers, and I'm not against training. I, I think it's it's great to stay up on current topics and issues and, and to be educated. But if an officer is being violent, if an officer, some of the officers we've seen that have uh, what we would consider bad cops, I don't care how much training you give them, okay? At no point were they, like, going to watch the training and go, oh, that was bad. Mm-hmm. I, sh- I, I should stop doing that, right? I mean, that's, that's just my take on it, right? I mean, and, again, it goes back to that seeing it as a law enforcement officer versus a person. Everyone will accept that there's some bad people out there. Okay. I mean, that's we've made a living off of it, right? You know, sadly, there's a small percentage of those bad people that want to be cops. Mm-hmm. And some of them become cops. And until you're able to find out who that person is and you start seeing their true behavior, um, because as we've also seen, many people can, you know, fake it, mm-hmm. right, until their true personality starts coming through, you know. Um, so, you know, we, we've talked as far as, and you said, getting out in the community and, and building those relationships. And I think that's, that's the biggest part. I think relationships are the, the prime thing. And, and, again, we don't have it that bad here. And, and when I say that, I mean, is it yesterday or the day before, uh, LAPD, someone actually severed a pig's head, put it on a stake outside the police department. Okay? Mm-hmm. We have not seen anything like that here. But there's been problems in these agencies that, you know, we talk about, you know, are there problems that need to be addressed and that type of thing. And one thing I want to talk about was, you know, again, things that are sort of already in place to address this, and they're, um, they're called consent decrees. And what a consent decree is is when, a, when an agency has had constitutional violations to the point that the federal government steps in and says, you no longer run the agency, we do, we're going to oversee it, and we're going to monitor So I print out uh, agencies that are currently uh, under consent decree. If you listen to some of them, they're sort of the ones that are popping up, right? New Orleans Police Department, Seattle Police Department, Portland Police Department, Detroit, uh, Warren Police Department, Los, uh, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, Antelope Valley, and uh, Maricopa County, Arizona. I mean, these are agencies that we've heard in the news, right? So when you see that there were already issues in which the federal government has had to take over and monitor their activities, are we really surprised that there's a breakdown between their citizens and the trust with those departments, right? Um, and there's some that have... There's some departments that have improved uh, that they have seen. And then uh, in this same uh, document that, that I found uh, talking about these, there's some that they were evaluated and they found nothing wrong. And one of those was uh, Austin Police Department. They found uh, no constitutional violations. This is the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division that uh, handles these type of investigations. So there's already something in place. I mean, now this is extreme. I mean, this is, this is not where you want to get as a department. This, is, this means that you have had so many constitutional violations that someone had to step in and run your department. Okay, hopefully, but I don't believe that you got to this point and no one knew, mm-hmm. right? So, 
It's what do you put in between that, that sort of catches those type of things. And, you know, we've, we have our uh, monthly meetings with sergeants and officers uh, talking about deputies' needs, make sure they have everything. Um, you know, I think another thing to address during this time is, as you said, you know, just the fact of being a police officer, uh, you've lost friends, there's people who think negative of it, um, there's also an impact on law enforcement families uh, that do this. I saw uh, one of my uh, law enforcement friends uh, had posted about his child that uh, used to always wear any type of law enforcement type T-shirts or this, that, and other, and they didn't want to wear it going out, right? Um, and it wasn't out of embarrassment of police. It was being scared that... Uh, something was going to happen to them because they supported the police. And just the same as the kids, even though every day we go to work, have the uniform on, and we tell the kids, bye, you know, we know what we're walking into, and they know what we're walking into. Being, being uh, in a police officer's family, you know this, mm -hmm. but this has really brought to light of this could really happen for no reason. We, we've always accepted you may go to that family violence. You may be handling that uh, robbery suspect. You may be handling a situation, a traffic stop that goes bad and lose your life over it. But we never really considered, at least I didn't when I got on, that you were just sitting in your car eating your water burger and someone walked up and kills you just because of the profession that you uh, decided to go into. I think, I think to... to Piggyback on what you just said, I mean, been been on an honor guard uh, since I've been here uh, presents a different perspective. Uh, it's reminiscent of, of um, when I was coming home from Iraq and Afghanistan and seeing the soldiers sent home in the boxes after they were killed in the line of duty, and then you, you see their families when you're at the funerals. I've uh, been these 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 honor guard ceremonies, and I remember specifically uh, Deputy Goldberg. Uh, you know, it's, it's extremely tragic to see the effect on the family, and a lot of people don't get to see that human dynamic unless they attend those funerals because they're only used to seeing the officers day to day, like you said, on a traffic stop. So it's a different dynamic unless you understand that officers are people and we have some bad officers, like we have a lot of good officers. And, and that's something that people just don't keep in mind when they're making these broad statements across the board about uh, police officers and the job that they do. You know, and when we talk about our families and, and all of us would say, you know, that's, that's off limits, right? I mean, we're, we do our job, you don't like us, Fine, we sort of accepted that coming in. Uh, however, uh, so in the Associated Press yesterday, um, they have talked about uh, that personal information police officers department nationwide is being leaked. So basically there are some activists that are out there that are trying to post personal information, meaning home addresses and information about families, uh, for the purpose to go and attack or do things against law enforcement officers' families. And again, I, I would like to believe, I hope to believe, that is such a small percentage out there of people uh, that think that way. But again, um, it's not something any, any person, any profession uh, should have to accept that you're endangering uh, your family because of a uh, profession that you chose. You know, then in Austin, uh, just yesterday, they also had interference with police radio communications website networks for law enforcement uh, amidst the protest. Again, uh, 
the problem with that is now you're stopping other people from getting help, mm-hmm. right? I mean, stopping radio communication, stopping the ability to communicate with the police, uh, sadly, you're you're not causing damage to the police. You're causing damage to the community. They can't get to the people who need them, who are calling for them, who you know are seeking the services that, that they provide. That's very dangerous. Uh, and again, I I can't wrap my head around some of it, you know. And so, you know, as we're wrapping up, the the biggest thing that this brings up is obviously uh, whether we have as big of a problem here. There's certainly a conversation that needs to be had. So, I guess, and maybe y'all know, maybe you don't. What is the conversation? I mean, who do you have the conversation with? Now, you talked about meeting with kids as far as recruiting and that type of thing, but who do you think you would seek out to try to have the local conversation, and what would that conversation, I guess, start with? That's a good question. Um, I believe the conversation should start with the local leaders in the community along with that community, especially a community that has a huge problem with um, law enforcement. And that conversation should start, in my opinion, with our everyday duties of what we do and why we do it. Um, And then it should come to the point where uh, talk about our training, because we talked about it earlier with the videos. That video is only showing a scope of what's going on. So the community needs to understand that there's a reason why law enforcement was at that house, conducted that traffic stop, stopped that person on the street. So I think it should start locally and then go up from there. Um, so with our the local, our, our constables, our chiefs, um, and they talk to the city council, the HOA boards, and, and we go from there. So that way we can start, the conversation has to start somewhere, and I think it should start local and move its way up. Well, I agree, and I, I, I think that, you know, you talk about the, the chiefs and ministers, but, you know, I think to a point it has to be, um, and like you said uh, earlier, I don't know if we were on the air yet or not, but um, law enforcement needs to be in the conversation, mm-hmm. right? Currently they're not. Uh, I Correct. say they're not. I mean, we have some people that are advising, but many are uh, congressmen and women. Many are, are lawyers. Many people are deciding what law enforcement should do without having a, an idea of what law enforcement already does. They they have an idea of what uh, there's some negative areas that need to be addressed, but they're just throwing out answers without a whole lot of knowledge otherwise. And so I think that uh, beyond the uh, extreme leadership of your chiefs and constables and sheriffs and those type of things, I think that uh, uh, sergeants, deputies, and those, because I can promise you, what you're dealing with currently on the street, okay, uh, is going to be more impactful than me, who is overseeing what you're doing mm-hmm. on the street, right? Um, but I think, and hopefully, at the end of all this, as much um, has come out of it, I hope at the end it at least starts that conversation, right? That at the end, um, a person can get a job and is not chastised for the career that they've chosen uh, and doesn't lose friends and doesn't have to make that personal choice of a profession that they really want to do that is honestly an honorable profession and many people uh, 
do a great job at it. There's a small percentage, in my opinion, uh, that have made us look bad in certain areas. And I know there's numerous opportunities out there. I know agencies um, that hold citizens police academies that you can come out, talk to the officers, and actually ride with them. And you do a small academy and really learn what police officers do. Um, you can at any time come by your station. Actually, they're people. You just stop by, say hello. Uh, they'll they'll show you the car. They'll have a conversation. I know here we do something called uh, coffee with cops and and uh, we'll go out in the community and meet for those type of things. But I do think that we need to get to the point where we don't expect them to come to us, right? We don't expect them to come to the CPA, to come to the Coffee for Cops, to come by the station. Uh, we have to go to them and have that conversation in their arena. Uh, and, and hopefully at the end, uh, we'll have uh, less of these communication problems because I really think that it boils down to communication and accountability um, you know as we wrap up um, any thoughts from y'all as we close out for the day well, well I mean we'll keep doing what we're doing every day you know, big thing I push the deputies continue to be professional and uh, encourage them to meet people and talk to them when they can and you know we'll work through this there are always ups and downs in law enforcement biggest things to stay and, and ride the current bill we'll keep working well, I certainly appreciate y'all coming in, y'all's uh, advice, opinions, and experiences, and, and certainly from, again, the different levels from sergeant to patrol deputy and your personal experiences. So, uh, again, thank you so much. And for listeners, so y'all are aware, uh, this podcast will come up later. Please share it with others. It's currently being listened to in uh, 13 different countries around the world. And we look forward to uh, having you on next week, and we'll be talking about more topics affecting law enforcement. If you'd like to sponsor the show or be a guest, you can contact me at dan at crimescenetoday.com. We'll see you next week.